Welcome to the Change Something Podcast, where we recognize that we all have 168 hours in one week. How will you leverage it? How will you use it not only for your own good, but for the good of your city? On this podcast, we'll speak with psychologists, chiropractors, teachers, truckers, first responders, writers, and all sorts of professionals every month for 15 minutes or less to provide tools and tips to not only better your life, but to help you participate in the good of your city. My name is John Ju, and I'm glad that you are joining us. Today, I have two special guests with me. In light of the protests and heated conversations spurred on by the most recent deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, I just wanted to invite Carl and Liz Fisher, a biracial couple, Carl being black and Liz being white, onto this podcast. Hey, Carl and Liz, thanks so much for being on the show. John, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. So this interview is the first part of a two-part series. As I interview a police officer on the next episode, but before we dive into how you'd encourage our listeners and before you provide a tip, Chimamanda Adichie says, stories have been used to dispossess and to malign, but stories can also be used to empower and to humanize. And one of my aims for this episode is to humanize our conversation. And I know that retelling your story is in many ways asking you to relive your trauma. So just thank you for taking that risk so that we can continue the work towards restoration and reconciliation. So Carl, can you just share with us maybe your most vivid personal story that highlights discrimination or racial profiling? I can recall a uh, time, sixth grade, and uh, some friends and I, we actually went to the store and we came out of the store and we were a mixed group. of There's a an Asian kid, a white kid, and two black kids. Yeah. And we're walking back towards my house to hang out. And as we get to the field by my house, the police sirens come on. Uh, and everyone, except for me, decides to run and sprint different directions. And I can recall just the police officers chasing me down. I'm walking, not knowing what's going on. I'm in sixth grade. Sure. The world is still green. And uh, in front of my house, I can recall just the police officer drawing his weapon on me and then frisking me down in front of my house in my neighborhood, in front of my neighbors, because honestly, they thought I had shoplifted something out of the store. Uh, though I had given no indication of that. Uh, and honestly, it was because of the, uh, I am an African-American man and the size that I was in sixth grade, I was about 5'10", mm -hmm. 160 pounds. So I looked like a grown man. That story right there is honestly just shaped my life moving forward. In sixth grade, how old are you? You're 12? 11, 12. Yeah. 11 or 12. And you're saying that the officer pulled a gun on you as you were standing there? Yes. So as he as he got me on the fence to pat me down, he had his weapon pulled on me. Oh, that's incredible. Can you unpack for us maybe a little bit about, and I know we'll talk more about it, that this instance has shaped kind of your story. What do you mean by that? As I've continued to just unpack my trauma and unpack you know, just my stories and my experiences, I just realized how that moment in my life just set a tone for mm -hmm. me just to beginning to realize how the world actually sees me, mm -hmm. no matter how good I try to be, no matter what my faith background is, that moment right there showed me that I'll always just be a black man. Hmm. And that's how people will see me first before anything else. That's incredibly hard to hear. I can't imagine, you know, being a father of a son, having my 12 year old son, you know, treated that way. Yeah, it was rough. It's been, it's been, it's been tough. Yeah. Well, Liz, as a wife to a African-American man and the mother of three beautiful kids, how do you process your husband's experiences? Truthfully, with a lot of pain, 
it's hard to watch the person that you love most um, be treated like that and to know that they have been and to know that they will continue to be. Mm. So I sit in that a lot and I do a lot of reading too because it helps me to understand his journey and other people's journeys. And in fact, I just read a book in order to help me actually process everything that's happened to him called Healing Racial Trauma, The Road mm. to Resilience by Sheila Wise Rowe. And that was really helpful um, because there's these things that I feel and I see in Carl like instinctually and just by watching his life. But to read that and to hear the terms and words and vocabulary put to those feelings and yeah. those um, reactions was really helpful. And the results of these trauma are common amongst uh, many people's lives and not just Carl's. Yeah. Can you unpack for us maybe a little bit about the book? What's your biggest takeaway so far? I know you've alluded to trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the book really goes into, it's not just um, the African-American experience with racial trauma, but it also deals with the Japanese-American internment camps here and First Mm -hmm. Nations and um, a few others as well. So it really just looks at kind of the way that systemic racism has affected so many minority cultures um, and what that kind of looks like in people's lives. So she gives a lot of, well, someone I heard in an interview, they asked her, you know, all of these case studies that you talk about. And she's like, well, actually, they're not case studies. They are people that I know. Mm. They're my friend's stories. And yeah, that just made it really relatable because I'm like reading it and I'm thinking about my husband's stories and how all of these things have affected him, just like these people in this book. You guys have three beautiful kids and your youngest is a son. And I know you guys have also been processing, hey, when does my son go from being cute and adorable to being a threat? For me, that process started when I was pregnant um, with my son. And I remember very vividly having the realization that, you know, depending on how much melanin is in my son's skin, that can change the course of how the world treats him and sees him. And um, it was around that time that I actually read an article uh, by the APA, and it talked about how um, black boys are, um, it's called adultification, but they are viewed to be on average four and a half years older than they actually are. And so, so when we still see them, know them as children, the world sees them as adults. And so that's one of the reasons there's such disparity in, um, black um, African-American boys being tried as adults compared to white um, Mm. boys. And I use the term boys intentionally because they are that. It was really, really, really hard to wrap my mind around that and to know that we were going to have to prepare him for that at such a young age. Yeah, no, absolutely. And both the book and the article that Liz is mentioning, we'll make sure to put in the show notes. I do want to ask, what about you, Carl, as, as a father? Uh, to this precious son, I mean, how do you process some of the trauma that you've been through and and him growing up? Yeah, I think the the first part that for me is honestly, I have to process my own trauma and I have to deal with my own trauma because I can't really teach him anything that I haven't experienced myself or that I haven't hmm. tried or, or worked on myself with my own trauma. And so it's really just been a fire uh, in me just to begin to deal with my own trauma uh, in a healthy way. Uh, and just looking for outside help uh, with all of that. And honestly, for me, it's been going back and rereading history and looking at it from the lens that I was created to look at it through and understanding 
um, how that has just played a role in my life. I think the hardest part, honestly, is because our all of our children are biracial, though, is having those conversations without without allowing your child to hate one part of themselves wow. and to understand they need to love all of themselves because that's how they were created. I mean, that's such an incredibly difficult, I mean, thought process and paradigm for even adults to process, but for a teen or a child to have to process that, that must be really, really weighty. Yes, absolutely. Well, depending on the political circles you run in, it's a common thought to think, don't all people just have the same opportunities in 2020? It's not about systemic racism or the color of your skin, but about how hard you work. I mean, how would you respond to this statement? And also, are there recent or historical examples that you can share that showcases that the opportunities are still not the same? I would look at that in two questions. And I would say yeah. that even though it's 2020, I mean, it's still about systemic racism and the color of your skin. I mean, I just remember growing up, my parents always telling me that I would have to work, you know, 10 times as hard just to get half as far. And it's 2020. And that's still just as true, honestly. I mean, I, I am a recruiter by trade before switching careers. And I can just remember bringing multiple resumes of just people of different backgrounds uh, ethnically, culturally, uh, by race, and and just the difference in their in responses from the companies. I mean, yeah. you can just you can go based on names, and just look at someone's name and the assumption that it would make about the person's name. I mean, there's definitely a higher percentage rate of that person not getting an interview or a callback, or and I think for me, like that's just been it made it so so real to me mm. being on the HR side of the world and just watching that happen mm. in businesses, and it just let me know that not all opportunities are are equal. You know, like the equity is not there for people of color just because you can get past a phone interview with a fake voice or a different voice or whatever. But when you show up in person, you can't hide from who you are. You can't hide from what you look like. And it definitely plays a role uh, in hiring decisions. It legally doesn't. But I mean, sure. for people personally, it definitely plays a role. And I've seen it, you know, firsthand having be the person to find people to get hired. I mean, that's incredible, right? And this has been well-documented. So many different institutions and universities have done studies around what you're exactly talking about, that there's two different resumes and, and one has a name that sounds more ethnic, the other one doesn't. And the hiring rate and the callback rates are incredibly different. I think that's a great example of what we're talking about here. Yes, it is. It is. And it, I mean, it goes much deeper than that. And you can go into other historical events that have happened, even in the city of Chicago from redlining uh, even to like just affirmative action and what that has actually become in sure. companies. I mean, it's, it's about just having the person of color on your staff to say that you have them. And I mean, you don't have to give them a voice at the table if you don't want to. Real equity comes when people of color begin to get the voice at the table in those organizations and not a skewed voice that tailors toward, you know, white America, but a, a voice that is their own. Yeah, and I think redlining in Chicago, again, is a great example. If you're listening to this podcast and you're unfamiliar with some of that language, we really do just recommend going back and even Googling the word redlining in Chicago together to see what pops up in history. And it's not too far off of a history that we're talking about. And I love the fact that you even bring up uh, affirmative action, right? this idea that affirmative action is not fair in its essence. But when we think about it, there are so many universities where you're entering into based on family legacy. And family legacy, though, assumes that your family had the rights towards that legacy or had equal treatment or opportunities for that legacy to happen. But if that was never there, how can we be talking about affirmative action in 2020, saying it's bias and it's wrong, 
If America has had affirmative action all along, just in the form of legacy, which is just one example, we have to realize that desegregation didn't even happen in our country until the late 1950s. Yes. So a vision for the Change Something podcast is to help our listeners or someone that they know receive tips so that we can be the good for our communities. Uh, What is one practical tip you would offer a listener who wants to be creative in utilizing their current vocation, whether professional or student, for the good of their community, specifically to this conversation? Yeah. I mean, I think it's the thing that I've told a lot of people is you need to educate yourself for yourself. And that means don't go to you know your social media. Don't let social media educate you. Don't let the mm. news educate you on what's going on. Go pick up books, read books from different perspectives, and it gives you more of a fuller picture of historically what that actually looks like. And um, so I encourage people to educate yourself. Uh, go back and relearn the things you thought you learned in school and just see how much they edited out. Go visit actual historical events and see what those things were like live in those moments. Uh, the other thing is I would say be be vocal in it. Like I know it's a time where a lot of people are, people in white America that are asking like, what can I do? And it's like right now you have the voice at the table, use that voice at the table to bring in diversity, to bring it's in so good. the people, the men and women of color, you know, who can speak their lenses at the table. Like use your, educate yourself so you're confident in what you're saying, but use your voice at the table to bring change and hold the people above you accountable for that change. Yeah, I think sometimes white person listening to this episode, you might be thinking, what can I really do? Not recognizing the fact that what Carl just alluded to, if you're on a board or if you're on staff at a company or an organization, and it is always minorities talking about discrimination or issues of bias, then it's going to sound like an echo chamber that only applies from a minority lens. The more allies we can have in this conversation that are also white, the more credibility it gives to the movement and what we're trying to achieve. Liz, any tips that you'd offer a listener who wants to be creative? Um, Yeah. So I have an education background, and so that's kind of where my mind goes first. And so, I mean, if you're in a setting where you're teaching other people, if you're an educator of any sort, truly just having resources available for your students or staff that um, come from the perspective, whether it's books or trainings or I don't know, any type of material that you might be using. If you try to, I guess, create a library of things that come from um, different cultures and different races and different ethnicities so that people can begin to learn and see life from someone else's perspective. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that's a really easy, practical way. It's something that I do with like my own kids. I try to make sure that the things that we pick up from the library and the books that we have in our house even are just not just African-American and white cultures, but around the world. Because I feel like the more you know, um, the more you can understand, the more you can have empathy and compassion yeah, for others absolutely. and relate to them. Yeah. I mean, as kids growing up, right? If all you ever see are the same color people represented in your textbooks and your books and your posters on your TV screens, your mind is going to think that that's who I need to be or that's what I need to become like, not being able to really process, hey, what do I do with my heritage? What do I do with my the color of my skin? What does it mean for me to be who I am in America? I think that's a wonderful tip that you provide. You know, one thing I heard one time that's been really helpful for me was I was talking to a adoption agent and she was asking me the question, when you think about your life, think about it from like a glass jar. 
and ask yourself the question, how many of the books that are on your shelves, what color are they? So if you have white authors, use it representing a white marble. If it's a African-American, use black. And so there's these different color marbles. And the question became, so what books have you read? Were the last 10 books or 20 books that you read? The last 20 movies that you watched, who are the main characters? Who are the protagonist, who is the antagonist in those movies, the music that you listen to, the genre of music, the people who come to your dinner tables, your closest friends. So what color marbles do all of those things represent? And so then if you start putting those things into a glass jar, you hopefully begin to quickly see, whoa, wait a minute. The way that I am choosing to view the world is really through one lens. And and how can we begin to diversify in those in those areas? So although we recognize that in order for us to continue to work towards a solution and that we not only need different philosophies and systems around our law enforcement, our legislators, our community members, and those that are part of our justice system, we all need to be proactively involved. Maybe what is one word of challenge and one word of encouragement that you'd like to extend to law enforcement, specifically even the one officer that we will be interviewing on our next episode? Yeah, I think one word of challenge would just be integrity. And for me, like that one word is just good because we all fight for integrity no matter where we work and just in our lives. And I just would just continue to challenge like officers right now in integrity. And I know it seems like that they're being scrutinized. Mm. uh, And we, we understand, you know, that not all officers are bad, but we also understand that we all have to hold the people that we work with accountable. Sure. We're so grateful for what they for the the good ones and what they do do, uh, to keeping us safe and protecting us and serving us. And I would just say, just continue to fight to restore. I mean, it's what people of color have been doing for years. We've been fighting just to restore who we were and who we are. Yeah, no, I I love the words that you've chosen. It would be really helpful if you unpack for us what you mean by integrity just a little bit more. So when you think about integrity and how it coincides with police officers and them doing their work, especially when it comes with people of color, what does that look like for you? It goes back to the the question before too, is, you know, even as a police officer, just be aware of the systemic things that have happened, you know, like adultification and all those things, just have those things in the back of your mind. Sure. Even when you're approaching a kid and understand that although this kid looks 18, he, he may very well be 14. Yeah. And what their interaction with you in that moment can shape their entire life. Mm. You know, they could shape the path that they have, the trauma they're going to experience for the rest of their life. That's so I would say, good, like, yeah. have integrity and treat that kid as if he was, that he's a human, you know, that he is created, he's a life, a precious life. And the other part of the flip side of integrity is if you see something wrong, like say something like have the integrity to step in, Mm. even if it's your partner, even if it's somebody else you've worked with in the department, like just step in and do what's right. I love that framework that you're providing, especially around this. The word that comes to mind for me is, is sensitivity, being sensitive to the fact that if you are a officer approaching somebody that's a person of color, recognizing that person is already has some fear inside of them they're not existing in a vacuum, but they have a narrative strung to them in their lives. Just the impact that that encounter can make in a positive way or in a negative way, really carry on and ripple for generations. That's such a good word. Uh, What about you, Liz? Any word of challenge or encouragement that you'd want to extend? I don't know. There's a Dwight L. Moody quote that says, character is what you are in the dark. And um, I feel like that goes along with the word integrity. That's kind of what I think of, of just doing the right thing, no matter what the cost is. So, and, um, 
I think awareness is one of my, would be my word of challenge. Um, I remember in college in sociology, um, we were talking about people being able to identify differences in races that were not their own. And so I remember learning like people have a hard time telling the difference in the way that people look if they aren't the same race as they are personally. And that so like identifying people that they thought committed a crime most of the time it's very 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 off when it's not someone of the same color truthfully and that really just Hmm. it made it so real to me how important it is to know and to be familiar with cultures Hmm. outside of yourself and I feel like in the area of being a police officer that's even more important so that you can deal with your own implicit biases because the more you know something the less you fear it yeah. No, I absolutely love love that. And I think you hit it right on the head as well. And it just connects back to what that adoption agent was trying to communicate to me, right? Ultimately, if as a society, our dinner tables look more and more diverse and the books that we're consuming, the media that we're taking in is multicolored, the more we can become aware. The difficulty of this ongoing conversation you know, in the past few weeks, I've I've spoken to a few police officers, and many of them, as even Carl alluded to earlier, you know, they're trying to walk line of policing well and doing it with integrity. I think it's just so often the absence of or the delay of recognizing all the different narratives that we bring into even a split second situation or a five minute situation which just continues to impact this conversation in a negative way. Yeah. I think I just want to say, I mean, there's so much that's happening in the world right now and to like diversify your dinner table and have open, honest conversations, loving conversations, Mm -hmm. and let's continue to grow in those conversations. You're either going to affirm what you know, or you're going to grow. That's really good. Yeah. And I think, um, I feel like I just really want people to know that there is always hope. Um, Yeah. There is always hope. And though the road is long and hard and weary, um, the more people who are taking it up and are making strides for change and are educating themselves and are becoming aware of the world around them and of other people's narratives and stories, like that's how we make progress and that's how we change. And the more people who do it, the bigger change we get and yeah. the faster it moves. And it's possible. So don't get discouraged. Yeah, persevere. <laughs> yeah, no, the the picture that comes to mind for me is if this whole movement and conversation that we're having right now is a big old cruise ship and we're all on our own little small speed boats, let's all join hands and get on the cruise ship and make some big waves so that we can impact the next generation. Thank you, Carl and Liz, so much for not only your time on this podcast, but living it out, you know, living it out with your kids having the hard conversations, reading widely, and modeling for us what it looks like to live vulnerably, but also courageously. I really appreciate you guys. John, thanks for having us. And we definitely appreciate everything that you're doing uh, with the Change Something podcast. It's very impactful to a lot of people. There are at least two things we can do right now as this episode ends, no matter which spectrum of the conversation you are on. One, let's keep educating ourselves. Let's choose to read and watch widely, having the courage to read authors and historians we disagree with, with critical thinking. And second, let's listen to the stories of people who disagree with us with an open mind. Let's do our best to build a relationship and invite them over to our dinner tables. 
There's something we can all do to change something. Let's keep changing the color of our marbles. Let's be the good. Let's go change something.